14 years of Mr. Gorman, putting it back together, transforming the firm, but also keeping what was good. Number one for me is don't change the strategy. It's working. Morgan Stanley's new CEO, Ted Pick, at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. He's giving his first interview since taking over from James Gorman, and it's on our TV broadcast. On my uh, bucket list to be on Squawkbox, and here I am. Ted Pick is taking top office at Morgan Stanley after over 30 years at the firm. It's the only job I ever had, so I'm really grateful they've kept me. How he'll be running the bank and what he's expecting for deal-making in the quarters ahead. People want to scale up. The world got smaller. You're going to want to purify. There's a backlog of sponsor activity that has to get sold or taken public. Companies that want to merge with the right partners, they need to get regulatory authority and they don't know what comes next. So actually, I think the pace of activity, kind of advisory tickets that you know very well, I think that's going to quicken. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Squawk Pod reports from Davos. Morgan Stanley's CEO, Ted Pick, begins right now. The 54th World Economic Forum in Switzerland has been a true meeting of the world's greatest minds. Business and political giants convened in the Alps and on our CNBC Squawk Box set. Leaders like J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. I think it's a mistake to assume that everything's hunky-dory. You can catch that full conversation in another Squawk Pod episode from this week. Just scroll down in your feed. But in this episode, we're talking to another bank CEO. It's Morgan Stanley's newest in command, as of January 1st, Ted Pick. Pick's promotion was the culmination of a public competition of sorts between the top candidates at the bank. He's taking over for Morgan Stanley's longtime leader, James Gorman, who presided over relatively steady growth in the 14 years of his tenure. It wasn't always smooth sailing, but Gorman left the Morgan Stanley stock 215% higher than it was when he started. He brought its market capitalization from 40 to $153 billion, growth fueled by his push deeper into the asset management business. So now, after three decades at the bank under Gorman, Ted Pick is settling into the top office with pretty big shoes to fill. Morgan Stanley today has a big tech business. Elon Musk's Twitter takeover? Morgan Stanley was one of the three banks that lent $13 billion to make that happen. It's not all hunky-dory, though, to borrow Jamie Dimon's phrase. In its most recent quarter, Morgan Stanley's profits fell by almost a third. Its investment banking business, which, like the other banks, has been weighed down by lower deal-making, rose a bit from last year. Wealth management revenues, historically the cash cow of the firm, were relatively flat. That big hit to profits I mentioned before was largely due to one-time charges, a settlement, and a payment to the FDIC. In his first interview as CEO, Morgan Stanley's new chief, Ted Pick, sat down with CNBC Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin in the Alps at the World Economic Forum. Here's Becky. Ted, uh, welcome. It's a thrill to be here on my uh, bucket list to be on Squawk Box, and here I am. Wow. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Better than that Jerry Seinfeld list. You remember what? The- <laughs> oh, it starts with a different letter. Yeah, yes. The love it list. Yeah. The yeah. love it list. And we do have some CEOs. That, yeah, some CEOs that we ask to come on and they go, no, love it. So it's the love it list. Yeah. So it's nice to see you. It yeah, is good yeah. to Thanks see you. Me, we guys. hope it's the beginning of a beautiful relationship. Yes. I hope so too. Yeah. Ted, let's talk. We'll talk about earnings in just a moment, but let's talk a little bit about 
your vision for the firm. Um, you've been at the firm a long time. Uh, since before 2008, you were there when the firm had its, its existential crisis. You've seen everything and were there for rebuilding it with wealth management as part of this. But what are your goals? Are there things people should look to that are going to be different than the era of James Gorman? Well, I am a, I'm a lifer. I got uh, hired out of college. I went to business school. I came back. So it's the only job I ever had. So I'm really grateful. They've kept me, you know, 31 years. And uh, we've seen a lot, you know, as you guys remember, we traded uh, $6.71 in 2008. So it's been a long road back. 14 years of Mr. Gorman putting it back together, transforming the firm, but also keeping what was good. And sort of transformation, but also reclamation of the good Morgan Stanley. And so number one for me is uh, don't, don't change the strategy. It's working. You know, we talk about the elevator speech. You go up a couple floors, you already have it explained. We have a wealth and asset manager, and we have a global investment bank. That's what we got. And we get the ecosystem working together, and uh, I'm real bullish about it. So number one is reiterating that the strategy's in place. Number two, talk about the culture, the culture that got us through the crisis, that got us through the transformation. Now we got some competitors that are firing on all cylinders. So make sure that we mobilize around the firm. We're getting along real well. Keep going on that. And then the last piece is to hit our financial targets. Uh, 10 trillion of wealth and asset management uh, dollars, that's going to be coming. It's a big number. We're going to get there and hitting 20% returns. That's it. 10 and 20. So uh, it'll take some time, but I'm, I'm, I'm super bullish. The, the stock traded off on, on earnings, I think, by about 4%. And, and from what I've seen and heard, it, it looks like there were some concerns around the margins at the wealth management business, uh, which, again, wealth management business, huge deal. It's why the stock has done so well for so long and a lot of optimism around that. But I, I think the margins aren't what Wall Street was ho- was hoping for. And it, and it doesn't look like they'll get to the 30% goal that you had set for, for some time yet. You want to talk a little bit about where where you are in that in that sort of movement? Yeah, that was definitely the key item. You know, uh, as you guys know, James took 14 years to put this thing together and he built a ton of credibility. And I've tried to do that with my colleagues in the business units when we turn around equities after financial crisis and fixed income. I sort of felt like personal credibility, really important right out of the box. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, as you guys talk about all the time, we have this weird moment of cycle transition where people are loaded up in T-bills and money markets and there's no new issue activity. So actually kind of the velocity of the wealth management business right now is pretty quiet and still a little, you know, sort of reaction function from March. We're going to get to 30. I just feel like with all the investing that we're doing on the run and given we're in the cycle, kind of just guide people to the mid-20s for a while and know that we're getting to 30. It's, it's happening. Uh, the, the winners in our name, as you guys know, have been people who have owned the stock for 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. And there are going to be some folks that react off of the way I said. I also took off like pluses signs and minus signs, but kind of laid out what we've just got to hit. $10 trillion, a 30% margins in wealth. 30% margins for the firm, right, including the investment bank, and then 20% returns on tangible. We did it during COVID. COVID, as you guys know, was kind of a weird period where everything kind of worked. And so I want to get there durably. The, part of the reason the, the boss uh, uh, had so much success is he, he kind of guided the place to kind of a durable, durable narrative. So sort of the herky-jerky, unpredictable Morgan Stanley. Yeah. And so by the mid-20s, I know some people are a little disappointed. That maybe I should say mid to high, but like mid-20s feels right. We hit those levels. Uh, we'll start to exceed that as the cycle transitions and move forward. We, we've had, uh, we, we used to have Jim on and, and, and James, and, and actually in the middle of some of Goldman's 
problems. I, I, I would sometimes ask him if he was, I wouldn't say it would be schadenfreude, but I, I wonder if during those years, it's not a zero sum game, but did Morgan Stanley take advantage of some of the problems that, uh, that Goldman had? You want everyone to do well? Yeah. It was, was there, did you take advantage of any weakness at, at Goldman over the years? Do you think that, did James? I mean, truly, we, we needed to find a way to get focused ourselves. I know some folks in the marketplace made a big thing about whether our market cap got bigger or not. I mean, the big story for us was for a number of years coming out of the financial crisis, are we going to make it? Like, are we going to make it? But then you the, really the rest made of the book. It. I know, but yeah, it took but, a long time. Yeah, but the wealth business wasn't <clears throat> Goldman's business. Right. They weren't even trying to be in that business. Remember really. when we'd asked James about, you know, and he would never take, admit that he was taking any satisfaction, but he did take pride, I think, in, in putting Morgan in. But I got to tell you, you know, uh, David and John, are and and I and I uh they are excellent competitors. They are darn good at it. And the beauty of the business we're in is sure there are boutiques and there are multi-strat hedge funds that kind of pick away at what we do, but to be a world asset manager, a leading wealth platform, there are only three or four in the world and one of them's not even public. <laughs> and to be a global investment bank where you're here but then you're in Hong Kong next week or in Tokyo, the only three or four of those. And Goldman will be one of those global investment banks. We're going to be one of them, too. So they're an excellent competitor. And the beauty of it is, I think we're right way to the cycle now, all of us, for wealth and for the investment banks. So I like our ability to push forward and print tickets. What do you think about the economy for 2024? What do you think about the markets? Um, how are things shaping up? Well, I listen to you guys talk about that, obviously, um, a lot. The, 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 the right answer is, who knows? That's always the right answer. Um, the, um, I guess the market says 140 basis points of cuts for the balance mm -hmm. of the year as of this morning and uh, kind of a little less than or a little more than 50-50 on March. And the dot plot is kind of 75 basis points. I think this feels a little like the um, late teens when we were coming off the zero barrier in reverse. They're kind of ready to lift. And then every time they talked about it, because they sort of tried out, there would be sort of a hawkish reaction. They would sort of stand pat. Now we're doing the opposite. Talk about talk about the path lower. There'd be a loosening. Asset prices go through the roof. So like, okay, let's see if that overheats us again. But I do think we are probably past peak inflation. Um, what's interesting though, Becky, is like it is not inconceivable that we have to go faster. Mm -hmm. i.e. 50 basis points, if you sort of price that out, it's kind of 5 or 10%. Have to go because the economy weakens? Uh, they have to go because the economy weakens, and it's also possible you'd have to hike, and that's right. highly unlikely too, but possible. How, but how do you like layer on top an election year Yeah. in terms of both how you think the Fed may behave, but also how you think CEOs in terms of the investment bank business, investment bank, banking business might be, behave around M&A, yep. IPOs and the like, the yep. uncertainty that seems to always happen in one of these kind of cycles. Yeah. Uh, well, as you guys know, this is a, a prism where you've got a sense of whether there's corporate activity and there's a ton of activity buzz because people wanted to do stuff at the end of financial repression. Then we had the pandemic and then there's going to be the election. So stuff's going to happen. People want to scale up. The world got smaller. Uh, you're going to want to purify. There's a backlog of sponsor activity that has to get sold or taken public. Companies that want to merge with the right partners, they need to get regulatory authority and they don't know what comes next. So actually, I think the pace of activity, kind of advisory tickets that you know very well, I think that's going to quicken. I think it's going to quicken uh, mid to large cap across industries uh, and cross border. It's not going to be bang, but I think once people start getting going, we're going to see a bunch of it. 
Ted, I want to circle back to what you were saying just in terms of your message to Wall Street and how you plan to run the bank. What I heard, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so yep. I want to make sure I'm interpreting it yep. correctly. What I heard is you're not going to be managing this for the short term. You're looking at long term investments. And if anybody's looking for a quick pump on the stock or something, forget it. That's that's not the place to be. I mean, that's a tough message to come in as the new CEO and say, but it's probably important because if you don't manage for the long haul now, you're never going to be able to. Right. And the balance, though, is there, there's there been a Gorman premium and he earned it. Mm-hmm. So don't have that evaporate, right? So uh, the name of the game is to sort of balance realistic expectations and build credibility, but have people understanding that we are uh, highly confident of both of these pieces to grow and, and kind of the secret sauces, they're going to grow together. The ecosystem of being a leading wealth manager, banking an individual is now an institution, and then also covering them as an investment banker or hedging their risk as a trading house. I mean, that is unique. And it is the case, if you talk to core shareholders that have made a lot of money in the name over the last 5, 10, 15 years, they love the durability of the story because, as you guys know, trouble with these banks is they ultimately get priced off of book. And if you want to get a BlackRock or Schwab valuation, you got to get to PE. And the way you get to PE is predictability, durability. That's the road I think we're on again. And I'm, I'm as you can hear, super bullish about it. Ted, I want to thank you uh, for coming and spending time with us. We really appreciate it. Really appreciate you having me, guys. Great. Ted, Pink. thank you. Thank you all for listening to this special Squawk Pod Reports from Davos. All week, we've been bringing you the best from the World Economic Forum in the Alps, geopolitics, tech, and there's still so much more to come. I have to take a selfie. Make sure you follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Squawk Pod is produced by me, Cameron Costa, Katie Kramer, and Caroline Rahotis. John Lazration is our editor. Have a great day.